0: Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial
1: conservative.
0: I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of
1: the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate and his opinions. Drew Allen. As hard conservative. I look into this guy for wisdom.
2: of truth in a desert of lies where you will hear, of course, more truth spoken in one hour approximately than you will hear from the lips of Democrats and rhinos if you listen to them in the entire course of their lifetime speaking. Now I want to get straight into this debt ceiling issue because I want to break this down and make the complex as simple as possible. We now, of course, have Mitch McConnell. Look, you can get into the politics of it, whether he's caved or not, but he has caved. He has suspended the debt ceiling, which allows them to continue spending like, uh, you know, drunken sailors with our money, our taxpayer money, until I believe it's December 3rd, where they'll have to revisit this issue again. But this issue has plagued us. For decades upon decades. And it's time we cut through the BS and just speak some common sense here. And that's what I do. Now what we have in this country, by the way, is not an issue of taxation. Uh, There is more than enough tax revenue stolen from the American people to fund the government. The problem is not enough taxes. The problem is too much spending at the federal level. That is the truth. So help me God. So, you know, the debt ceiling, I want to just explain briefly. They're acting like the apocalypse is here if we don't raise the debt ceiling again. But you know what they're doing to us? They're holding us hostage. They're holding this country hostage and the American people hostage, decade after decade, with this narrative. They tell us, I mean, in essence, they spend too much, They get to a point where they're going to surpass what they're allowed to uh, uh, spend on the credit card, our personal credit cards. And then they come and say, oh my gosh, we have to raise our credit card limit. If we don't do it, we'll default. We've got to raise it again. And in this way, we're held hostage. They spend us into oblivion. They act irresponsibly. Like... I don't know. I mean, your worst, worst, uh, most, well, your dumbest American out there. No offense. You know, I've had credit card debt before, but your dumbest American who just never learns anything. And so the debt ceiling is 20, was, well, it is still currently $28.5 trillion. And, you know, their only source of income at the federal level, so to speak, it's tax revenue. Now, the debt ceiling is a limit to the amount of debt that we can accrue. So let me just put it this way. Because these people are liars about what's going on. You know, what's happening time and time again is this. If you think about yourself and your own credit cards, let's just say you get a credit card, and of course, the company or the bank, they give you a limit on that card based on your income. They say, okay, we will basically give you credit to up to $10,000, $10,000. And so you know what the limit is. And then as you in your personal life approach $10,000, approach that limit, you then decide to hire a gardener for your house. You decide to buy another car. You decide to spend all this money that you know you cannot pay based on your income. But you cannot go to your credit card company and say, hey, I'm spending more money. I'm going to default. I need to raise my my credit card limit to $15,000. No, you would never do that. There are repercussions. The bank would laugh at you. They would say, no, you can't afford a bigger limit. We already gave you a $10,000 credit card limit. That's based on what your income is. You have to live within your means. But the government, of course, is different because they can change it. They can control what the limit of debt is. But in essence, what they're saying is, well, you know, we set the limit at $28.5 trillion, but then we've decided to continue to spend more money annually. And so now we have to raise it again and put us on the hook for it. Because you know who holds the public debt? That's you and me. And then the Federal Reserve holds some of the debt, roughly $8 trillion, But you and I own the majority of it. Everyone talks about the threat of, oh, what happens if we can't pay China? What happens if we can't pay Japan? Japan, by the way, is the largest debt holder foreign, foreign debt holder that we have, followed by China. But they only hold roughly foreign governments, a third of our debt. The majority is held by us. Now, let me put it this way, too. The federal government is spending $550 billion per month. But in tax revenue, they're only receiving $300 billion in revenue per month. But they can't make do with what they have. They can't make do with $300 billion because they're spending $500 billion per month. But there's something else. Well, let me get into it this way. You have the Biden regime, Jin Psaki, all the Democrats out there telling us that you know, this is uh, actually costs us no money. They want to add another $5 trillion to the public debt. That's in addition to the 28.5. So they're going to drive us well over $30 trillion in debt. That's why they need to raise the debt ceiling by $5 to $10 trillion. Because they want to add $5 trillion. But they're saying, of course, to you and I, this won't cost us anything. Now, allegedly the premise of their argument that it doesn't cost anything is because they're going to pay for it by increasing taxes. So Biden claiming that this will add $0 to the public debt. I mean, it's ludicrous, but that's what it's based on. This idea that he's going to somehow magically raise taxes to the, to the degree that this 5 trillion in new taxes will be brought in to pay for this increase. But he says, of course, he's only going to tax those households earning in excess of 400,000 annually as well as corporations. But only 1.5% of the population earns over $400,000. Even if you steal over 50% of these individuals, these American citizens' earnings, you can't pay for this. And then if you raise taxes on corporations, of course, all that means in the real world where we live is that they're going to pass those costs onto you and me through raising increasing the prices of goods and services which will create stagflation so they just continue to dig and dig and dig this hole and you know what we need to do in america we actually need to uh we need to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy i mean it i'm serious i mean that's the only way that anything's going to change yes i know i know That's for corporations. I understand that the federal government can't actually file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but my point is the same. Because, look, you know, when a corporation, for example, files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, all right, it requires and necessitates a reorganization of that debtor's business affairs, their debts, their assets. And that's why, you know, another term for Chapter 11 bankruptcy is reorganization bankruptcy. And so that that, that company that files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, well, they have to propose a reorganization plan. And it has to be in the best interest of the creditors. Well, we are the creditors. And the real issue in this situation that we're in for well, for decades and decades, is that there's no repercussions for the federal government, for the Congress, for any of these politicians who are stealing from us in perpetuity. This is why really we do need a balanced budget amendment. There have to be consequences. I mean, if you and I, to go back to the credit card analogy, if you and I spend $10,000 and then can't pay it, well, we're forced to live within our means because there are consequences. Our interest rates go up; they punish us for it. And then you have a hard time digging out of that hole. But there's also a a reminder that comes with it when you're done. You'll never get in debt again because it's too painful. But the government, every year, I mean, we've we we have we have witnessed this. I mean, for for decades. Most recently, we had this debate. You know, in the Obama years, we had it during the Trump years. Now we're having it under this Biden regime every time the same. We cannot default. We cannot default. But they put us in this mess to begin with. I mean, these people know, by the way, they can anticipate what the, uh, the, 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 what the funding is going to be for the federal government in terms of their revenue the tax pay- taxpayer dollars the tax money coming in and they can also project what their you know an- annual expenditures are going to be so for example the government has already estimated that it's going to receive 4.174 trillion dollars in revenue in 2022 that's what they're going to have coming in for that fiscal year and the government also expects to spend 6.011 trillion dollars in 2022. And what is their answer? Their answer isn't to cut spending at the federal level. It's to continue to raise the debt ceiling. Do we see the mathematical issue going on here? You know, they talk about how, you know, if you listen to the media, they'll say, oh, you know, um, we're uh, kicking the can down the road by not raising the, the debt limit right now, because McConnell just did a, you know, suspended it, and then we're gonna have to revisit this on December third. But the real can that's being kicked down the road is that the federal government is not addressing the fact that they have a spending addiction. I mean, I have something in front of me. Let me find it here. I, I just wanna wanna want you to get some context here. This is this is. So let me put it in context in terms of tax revenue. In 1960, 1960, the federal government received $93 billion in tax revenue. $93 billion. And then by, let's see here, in 2005, the revenue had gone up to $2.15 trillion. Fiscal year 2021, they've got $3.86 Trillion estimated in revenue tax collection. So the thing is, nine times out of ten, every year, bar a couple of exceptions, every year the government increases their tax revenue. The money that the government collects from the American taxpayer increases every single year. For example, let's just look at a few years. In 2018, they collected $3.33 trillion. The next year, in 2019, they collected $3.46 trillion. In in 2020, estimated $3.71 trillion. And in 2021, they're estimating that they will take in $3.86 trillion. So in the last four years... The government has taken more money. They've given themselves a raise, so to speak, every year. And that's nine times out of ten. But you know what happens ten times out of ten? They spend more than they take in every single year. What we have is irresponsibility at the federal level. I'm going to take a short break. When we get back, I want to address a couple more things. I want to talk about an analogy. That I wrote about in my book, Uncommon Sense. And I want to continue to deal with this debt issue because it's not the sexiest issue. I get it. There's a lot of other things going on and we're going to cover it. Believe me. We've got a lot going on. The assault on our First Amendment is heating up. Uh, The um, continued collusion with the federal government and other uh, private entities, sectors, and the media is ramping up. And the fight rages on. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. You know, Drew Allen back with you. We don't have to default on our day. This is a um, straw man argument. Because as I pointed out, the government knows what the revenue is and they, and they know what the expenditures are going to be. So they could actually adjust their expenditures and lower them and live within their means so that we didn't get in this situation time and time again, but they want to continue to grow this Leviathan government in perpetuity. And so uh, this is my problem with this. Do, Do you know, just, just for context again, Do you know what the average salary for a federal civilian employee was in 2018? Nearly $95,000. $94,463. So the average salary for a federal employee was nearly $95,000. Do you know what the average salary for the 118 million private sector workers was? $63,000. So a federal employee on average makes $30,000 more annually than a private sector worker. They're getting paid with our tax dollars. Why are they making $30,000 on average more than the $118 on average private sector workers? That's outrageous. But of course, the government won't reduce anything. They act like everything they spend is necessary. But we know every year we get into the waste of the government. We have the, the uh, CBO, Congressional Budget Office, that all the time talks about all the wasteful spending in the federal government. But they don't want to get any of their financial house in order. They just look at us as the golden goose. Well, we're going to spend more, actually, and we're just going to make the taxpayers pay more. We're going to make them suffer. We're going to take it out of their pocket. Meanwhile, the federal employees are making $30,000 on average a year more than you and I are. This is what's so outrageous about all this. The government must be forced to live within its means. Not force us to live within our means because they're stealing from us. And it's so ridiculous and preposterous. I mean, to think about the Revolutionary War, you know, they didn't face near the taxation that we do today under King George Third, and they went to war over it. And here we are with the, the the Democrat Party and the rhinos who go along with this time and time again. I don't make mo, make no mistake, Mitch McConnell will cave. He'll eventually give them what they want, and next year and the year after and the year after that they'll continue to increase their spending. And then they'll say that we don't pay our fair share. But to get back to my analogy from my book, Uncommon Sense, I I I used an analogy. I grew up going to church, and uh, you tithe. That's 10% of what you make you give back to the church. It's voluntary, which is a difference. Our uh, taxation is not voluntary in this country. It's confiscatory. It's forced. You go to jail if you don't pay it. But in the world of churches, you tithe 10% voluntarily. And so what we have today is akin to an irresponsible uh, those individuals who, who, who look over the funds for the church. It's like, and this is how they divide us too, by the way, and create this situation in which we create a class system that doesn't even really exist in America. Now imagine you're in church, everyone pays 10%. But then all of a sudden you get a preacher that comes in and he says, well, you know, the rich people in this congregation aren't paying their fair share. Well, if everyone's paying 10%, that is in accordance with what, with what they earn, what they have available to give. So if you, if you have $100, you pay $10. If you have $1,000, you pay $100. So in that respect, the person with $1,000 is already paying far in excess of what the person with $100 is paying. They pay 10 you pay 100 10 times what they're giving in terms of monetary value. But then imagine this preacher says, you know, of course, well, you know, uh, we've, um, we, we've spent actually all the money that we've collected and actually we're in debt. So um, we actually need uh, people to pay 20% of their revenue to the church. That would be ridiculous. They should live within their means. Those who oversee the funds of the church are irresponsible. And then they say, "Oh, well, you know, you know the 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 wealthy in this congregation aren't paying their fair share. In fact, those of you with a hundred dollars, you guys shouldn't have to pay anything. In fact, the people that have a thousand though, they should pay your fair share too. That's not fair. Everyone should have skin in the game. But then, if that message is put out and those attacks are made, suddenly the person with a hundred bucks is looking at the guy next to him with a thousand and saying, "Hey." You need to pay my 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 amount because you've got more money than me. I shouldn't have to pay $10 when you've got 1000. You should pay 110, 200, 300, whatever it is. And you create this animosity. But that's wrong. You know, I mean, 10 commandments thou shalt not covet. But that's what our our progressive tax system does. It creates this this atmosphere of coveting. You look at somebody that drives a BMW, and you've got a, I don't know, a, a, a Chevrolet. And you say, hey, I want that. Hey, that guy's got too nice a car. You got a car too. Chill out. You don't have. You don't own that guy's BMW. However, that guy got that BMW, he didn't take it out of your pocket. You both have a car. If you want a BMW, save up for it. But no, they want to create a situation where you hate and have this animosity. But anyway, we don't have to have an apocalyptic scenario right now. We don't have to have this discussion year after year if the government would live within its means. And that's the message I want to portray. All of this is a straw man argument. They scare us every time. They scare us into giving more, giving up more of our liberty by way of giving up more of our financial security. They say to us, well, I mean, they create the situation, right? They push us over $30 trillion in debt, and they say, well, hey, we're going to default you know, because we've been spending all this money, and now we need more money. No, 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 no. It's worth defaulting over. It's worth defaulting over. There should be repercussions because until there are repercussions, even if we have to share in those repercussions, nothing will change. Because at the end of the day, it's you and I, the American citizen, who are punished anyway. We're on the hook for this debt. And so, sometimes sacrifices have to be made to force change. And that's why I brought up the Chapter 11 bankruptcy analogy. We're the creditors. We're the creditors. We're the ones giving the money to the federal government largely. And they are not acting responsibly. And they're going to continue to behave this way until we say enough is enough. Until we force them to face the repercussions and consequences of their drunken spending spree. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. I'll be right back with some additional news you don't want to miss. Conservatives seem to be Well, I'm sure you've seen it in the news. Yeah, Biden's approval ratings are abysmal. They are plummeting. And it's of course got conservatives celebrating something, but you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not here to be a pessimist. That's not my point. But I have a different take on this. On the one hand, yes, it says that the American people, by and large, view Joe Biden with increasing, um, well, with increasing disapproval. Right, his disapproval rating is 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 high, and his approval rating is is at an all time low. But this is not, this is not abnormal we we saw this with obama for example you know his his approval also plummeted this always happens with democrats because you know the thing that affects the american people indiscriminately across the board is economics the economy so people see inflation they see uh you know their bottom line being affected in terms of you know a- everyone pays uh, rent or a mortgage, everyone has expenditures, and you, know, when they don't see their, their wages rise, or they see economic havoc, you know, gas prices uh, going through the roof, et cetera, well, everyone's affected, and so they, they become disenchanted with the administration. Who, Democrats, of course, always promise to fix all this? They always promise things are going to get better under their rule. Uh, you know, they're going to fix the problem. But but the disconnect for Democrats unfortunately is that they they cannot connect the dots and understand that it's actually Democrat party policies that are actually responsible for their discontent that are responsible for their disapproval of the situation. And that's the worry because despite the fact that his Biden's uh you know approval is down and disapproval is up, well you know, 7 out of 10 typically of the of these Democrats or independents who actually voted for them, well, they would still vote for them again because they believe that the Republican Party is much worse. And they accept this this logical fallacy that, you know, it's not the Democrat Party policies that are responsible, it's just happening. And the Democrats are doing the best they can to fix it. And so when elections come back around, well, they're not converted to conservatism. And that's my beef. But I want you to listen to, um, well, first I want to listen, first let me do this. Let me play what everyone's playing on Twitter and social media, what's making the rounds. This is Jake Tapper, okay? Jake Tapper over at CNN talking about Biden's plummeting approval.
0: These new poll numbers, frankly, are brutal for the president. In this brand new Quinnipiac poll, only 38% of Americans approve of how Biden is handling his job compared to 53% who disapprove. That's the lowest approval rating Biden has had since taking office. Another striking number, only 39% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy. 55% say they disapprove of the job he's doing on the economy. And when asked, is Joe Biden an honest president? 44% of Americans say yes. 50% a plurality say No. And one of the most damning results of all, more than half of the American people, 55 percent, say the Biden administration is not competent in running the government. Forty two percent says the administration
2: is. But I mean, that sounds great, right? I mean, as a matter of fact, in live time, real time right now, I just got a text message uh, from my father in law. And it says Biden numbers in free fall. Hope they continue. I, I do too, but th- this is my point. You know, everyone's excited about this. They think this this has some kind of significance, but it doesn't have any significance so long as we don't, in a Reagan esque way, you know, connect the dots for disenchanted voters out there. Because what they'll do is they'll turn around next time and vote for another Democrat, hoping that they're going to solve the problem again. And uh, it doesn't matter if they say, "Oh, they're incompetent," and so on and so forth. Well, in their minds, the Republican Party is so much worse that, well they'll still vote democrat. But but here's what was said. I want you to, This is Jake Tapper back when Biden was in office. I mean sorry, Biden. This is this is Jake Tapper when Obama was in office, okay? Listen to this. It's literally the same story.
0: Welcome back to the lead. Now it's time for the politics lead. The president is overseas, but his poll numbers have him underwater. His approval rating has dropped 8 percentage points over the past month, leaving him at 45% his lowest rating in more than a year and a half. He can thank scandals from the NSA Surveillance League to the continued questions over Benghazi for that dip. Let's bring in our panel to talk about it. So there you it. go.
2: It's nothing new that a Democratic uh, Party president suffers uh, disapproval or sinking approval, tanking approval numbers. It always happens because you can be guaranteed that any time, especially in this modern era, that a Democrat uh, is in charge— Things are gonna get worse for the country. But of course, again, just to reiterate, the job that the Republicans are failing to do in the absence of some great leadership or communicator is to explain to people why they disapprove. It's not just happening. These aren't forces that are out of the control of those in power. This is actually a direct result of their policies. You know, all of their disapproval is because of the person they elected to office so while i understand in this grim atmosphere in which we're, we're clinging on to any semblance of hope in this case it's of course the the sinking approval for joe biden well obama also experienced sinking approval numbers and granted when jake tapper addressed it there it was in uh, obama's second term so he wasn't up for reelection but um you know we have an opportunity here to explain to the American people and make sure that they never vote Democrat again. And that's what we have to do. Uh, This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Now, I don't want you to mistake me. I'm not telling you there's no hope out there. There absolutely is. And the Democratic Party knows they're in trouble. Uh, That's why they are, well, moving so far, well, they're they're, they're so radical today, moving further and further towards totalitarianism because they understand that their political futures are at risk based on their decision to embrace communism. We all should repeat this. The Democratic Party is not a progressive party. They are a communist party, a Marxist party. Do not call them anything else. They do not deserve it. They have earned the title of communists. And communist communism, even though there are those among us that are indoctrinated, especially the youth who believe that communism is the way forward. Anecdotally, let me tell you a quick story. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He's got a younger brother who just got out of college. He attended and graduated from Santa Clara University, a Jesuit school. Now, I understand the Jesuit schools because I once was educated by Jesuit priests and others at an all-male Jesuit college prep school in Dallas, Texas. So I understand the Jesuit education. Um... And so this young man, a friend of mine's brother, uh, he comes home and they sit at the dinner table and they have to tell him to stop. Why do they tell him to stop? Because he is proclaiming, professing to his family how wonderful China is. He is professing the benefits of communism. He is wishing that America was more like China. This is what we're up against. This is what the Democratic Party has become. A communist, Marxist, totalitarian party. Um, And to that point, we had, of course, a fake whistleblower who came forward claiming to have worked at Facebook. Now, she did work at Facebook. But she came forward and then, of course, was invited to give congressional testimony. And essentially... This was organized, of course, but this individual, this young woman, alleges that Facebook isn't doing enough to censor what? Right-wing voices. So she is trying to, like, let me just backtrack. You know, January 6th, that phony insurrection that I've talked about a hundred times on this show, you know, they used that instance to demonize Their political opposition, that would be anybody who's not a Democrat, especially Trump voters, all 75 million plus of us, and to label us domestic terrorists. And this is just building upon that foundation to build a cause, a false narrative that gives them cover and justification to exert their will on the American people and silence and destroy their political opposition. So this Facebook employee, of course, came forward, former Facebook employee, I think she was, former or not, but she came forward, she worked at Facebook, and she said that they weren't doing enough to silence right-wing voices. And so what happened immediately after that uh, speech was given? Well, I've got a story here from Axios. I am going to read you this story from Axios, just, just some excerpts, stay with me. Google and YouTube on Thursday announced a new policy that prohibits climate deniers from being able to monetize their content on its platforms via ads or creator payments. Why it matters, Axios says. It's one of the most aggressive measures any major tech platform has taken to combat climate change misinformation. Here we go with the misinformation again. Now, we know that the misinformation that they are censoring Nine times out of ten is not misinformation, but truth. Uh, they censored stories alleging that Hunter Biden's laptop was real. And now, of course, we learn that the laptop was real and that Hunter Biden is corrupt. We know that he has ties to China, that he's taken money from them, etc., etc., ad nauseum. He's corrupt. Joe Biden's corrupt. He's in the pocket of the Communist Chinese. That was censored information. They call it misinformation. They labeled Uh, uh, Any assertion early on in this fake pandemic that when we said that hydroxychloroquine was a useful, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? You know, the, the, the use of hydroxychloroquine as a treatment to protect and save lives against the ill effects of COVID, well, they labeled that dangerous misinformation. Of course, now we know that hydroxychloroquine and zinc did save lives. They were very effective treatments to combat the ill effects of COVID and save lives. So this is all about suppressing the voices of their political opposition. So now, of course, they're focused on climate deniers because climate change is very quickly going to become, when they decide to get rid of COVID, not get rid of, but when COVID runs its course and they can no longer scare the American people, when that, as a weapon of the left, ceases to be useful, when it's served its purpose, they'll then move on to climate change. And of course, in the name of climate change, to save the planet, what rights can they not take from us? That is the point. And so they're getting ahead of themselves. Everything they do is strategic and intentional. So I don't know what uh what this this alleged uh uh whistleblower, fake whistleblower, organized whistleblower who says they're not doing enough to suppress right wing voices, now they're immediately going to climate change. I mean, climate change, by the way, these people on the left, I want you to be very uh strong in this. Because these people, and I've said before, they believe we only have surface temperature data, real data surface temperature data going back to the 1880s. So based on 141 years of surface temperature data out of a 4.5 roughly billion year history of Earth, they believe that's conclusive evidence that man is responsible for climate change. There is nothing scientific about this. You can go back 100 years ago, 150 years ago, and we had worse climate situations, worse wildfires, worse hurricanes than we've even had today. And it's the same thing. It's a fear tactic. But they don't want us to be able to combat that. Because the Democratic Party, by the way, they cannot compete in the realm of ideas. And we're going to get into critical race theory, for example, soon. It's all tied together. I mean, they were losing that battle. Teachers were standing up. I'm not teachers, sorry. The teachers were not standing up. The, The parents of the students, the parents were standing up to the teachers, the teachers' unions. And the school boards saying, expressing their outrage that these schools were indoctrinating their children to believe that they were born racists and born victims. And they were losing that argument. That was not a popular issue because whether you're a Democrat or Republican, largely, you don't want to hear your child come home. And if they're white, say that I've been oppressing black people. And if they're black or a minority, say I'm oppressed. I'm a victim of the white people. Nobody wanted that. So it was bipartisan that people spoke out against that and said enough is enough. And so because they were losing that battle in the realm of ideas, in debates, well, what's happened now? Merrick Garland has agreed, essentially, has labeled these parents, concerned parents, domestic terrorists. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But anyway... So if you do not believe, if you do not embrace man-made climate change, if you have questions or disagreements or want to make the points that I just made, well, Google and YouTube will not allow you, if you make your living off of doing what I'm doing, for example, here, well, you can't monetize that content on its platforms. And then censorship will come shortly after. And we have story after story now of Facebook right after this whistleblower came out against Facebook. Well, they are cracking down. Cracking down on political dissent. This is an attack on free speech. We do not have a First Amendment right anymore. And of course, the argument is always that, well, these are private companies. They can crack down on it. And it's outrageous. But now we have the federal government... Demonstrating absolute overreach, absolute unconstitutionality with the Attorney General of the United States of America, Merrick Garland. And actually, I'm going to take a short break here. I'm going to come back because this is important. I want to read you the letter that he signed off on because he should resign immediately. His resignation should be demanded. He is unfit for office. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. And we're back, the voice of, uh, common sense, reason, rationality, and brilliance. Uh, so just before I get into the Merrick Garland stuff, um, back to this fake Facebook whistleblower who, you know, met with the January 6th committee. So her name, by the way, is Frances Haugen. Now she testified before Congress on Tuesday and um she uh she said is alleging that let, let me let me say it this way Adam Schiff Penceleck Schiff so he tweeted out this la, this Monday that according to this Facebook whistleblower shutting down the civic integrity team and turning off election misinformation tools contributed to the January 6th insurrection And yet this is outrageous. We know that the FBI monitoring Facebook actually had insight that the January 6th fake insurrection might take place. But back on September 11th of 2020, by the way, Fox News reported that Facebook allowed Rose City Antifa to have a page on Facebook despite their promise to crack down on dangerous organizations. So it's selective, Um, they allow these, look at Twitter, for example, uh, Donald Trump is banned forever lifetime ban on Twitter. And yet, you know, if you, if you are a terrorist out of Iran or in Afghanistan, you have full access to Twitter, to tweeting out. That's how stupid this is. That's how corrupt this whole situation is. But anyway, to get back to Merrick Garland. So this is from the AP. Here's the headline. Garland, Merrick Garland, says authorities will target school board threats. There have been no threats to school boards. These parents are showing up and expressing their opinion. They're saying that as parents who are paying taxes for these schools, who have their, their, their children in these schools, that they don't want them being taught critical race theory. Totally acceptable. But here we go, Washington AP, Attorney General Merrick Garland on Monday directed federal authorities to hold strategy sessions in the next 30 days with law enforcement to address the increasing threats targeting school board members, teachers, and other employees in the nation's public schools. In this memorandum, by the way, Garland said, I quote, There has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence. Against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools, they're not running our nation's public schools; they're running an indoctrination mill. But who is actually being intimidated? By the way, where is Merrick Garland when it comes to this Soros-funded uh, illegal immigrants who chased Kirsten Cinema, Senator Kirsten Cinema, who is one of two senators, her? And um, Joe Manchin, who are standing in the way of the Democrats achieving their totalitarian ambitions and the total absolute transformation of America into a statist country. Authoritarian country with one party rule. Well, they chased her into into a bathroom stall. And they read off their phones scripts that were given to them so this could be pushed out there to create another narrative. Where is he on that? That's harassment. That's threats. When you're being chased into a bathroom stall by crazy illegal immigrants screaming at you. But let me tell you how this wo- works. So Garland is labeling the, any parent who wants to speak out and defend their children... As domestic terrorists. So of course working in hand with him. You have a media. Here's a headline from Fox as well. D.C. area school officials stepping up security measures amid threats. So now they are trying to create this invented reality. So D.C. schools are stepping up security measures amid these threats that don't exist. To give semblance. To try and give some kind of affirmation some kind of justification for the real intimidation that's going on, which is saying, if you speak out against leftist, totalitarian, communist indoctrination, you could be arrested by the FBI, investigated by the FBI. They're trying to silence opposition. But here we go, Fox. The Department of Justice is getting involved after a spike in threats and harassment against school officials. Prince William County Public Schools now has security conducting bag searches of those attending school board meetings. At the last board meeting in September, security cleared out the boardroom for a time after confrontations between attendees. One man who spoke during public comment, Emmett Fletcher, commended those at the meeting Wednesday for remaining peaceful. No no specifics whatsoever. But we're supposed to believe, of course, that there's uh, some great security threat to these individuals. But the real threat is the teachers and what they're doing to our children. Prince William County Public Schools now has security conducting bag searches of those attending school board meetings. I don't know why this is a terribly written article, Fox. Um, I, I don't know. I write as a living. This is garbage. You, you, you just redundancy. You know, it's all about efficiency of words, and you don't know how to do it. But anyway, let's continue. At the last board meeting, it's, what is going on? Okay, continuing with this interesting debacle. It's very important for us to check our behavior when we come in the door, said Fletcher. Make sure that we are proper role models for the kids. The new security measures were added ahead of that last meeting. Stay with me. We're going through this together in real time. I feel that the lines are becoming blurred because of the extra security we've been having here lately, especially, said a woman who spoke. I haven't seen or heard anyone threatening a school board member at any of these meetings. Well, there you have it. It's not happening. To your point, uh, whatever this woman's name is. A school spokeswoman, however, of course, a corrupt... School spokeswoman. Well, she says there have been threats and abusive language. You know what? This reminds me of all these people throughout this country on university campuses who, 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 who paint the N-word on a rock. Or, or, or they email themselves like Jesse Smollett, uh, hate mail, and then you find out that they actually did it themselves. They sent themselves uh, letters that were racist. And then you find out that there was no racism whatsoever. You have an individual looking for fame, trying to promote a narrative. And none of it actually happened. It's not reality. But this school spokeswoman says, you know, apparently there has been abusive language. This week, the DOJ said, well, we got to trust the DOJ, right? Said that's spiking nationwide, and the agency is now directing federal officials to work with local authorities to address it. Jason Van Valen says, a parent, I think they're trying to put pressure on parents not to speak. Bingo, Jason, bingo. That's what it is all about. So here you have the type of collusion that's happening to bring about totalitarianism in America. You have them losing the public debate about critical race theory, which would create more Democrat voters in the future and create a perpetual victim class in America. And then you have Merrick Garland adopting it, saying it's real. And then you have a D.C. area school official stepping up security measures amid these fake invented threats. This is how it works. We're living in a Nazi Germany style of government, of propaganda in which nothing you see is real from the media. This is Drew Allen, and I will be right back. We're going to talk about the border crisis. We had a a former official come out and talk about What is going on at the border? The Democrats are scared to death, and they need new voters. And so we have an influx of immigration at the border. We have a media who is complicit, who is working with the Democratic Party to point us to the shiny object on the right while they create another play on the left and rout us. We'll be right back. You have to keep in mind that everything happens intentionally and strategically. The news, the mainstream media, the drive-bys work in tandem with the Democratic Party. And these activists feed them the stories, and so it goes. You know, for example, with uh, the Merrick Garland and the FBI now threatening outspoken parents to try and silence them and get them to submit to the state, well, you know, this Department of Justice action, well, it came about after a letter was submitted last week from the National school, school Boards Association to President Biden, who was and this group was asking for federal help with threats and intimidation. And the next thing you know, the Department of Justice signs off on it, accepts it as truth and projects you have. And then you have, of course, the D.C. school system saying we're increasing security. Because of these threats. And so so the narrative goes so they can continue to clamp down and put their boots on the throats of the American citizens. That's how it goes. The same thing with a Facebook fake whistleblower. They need cover to silence the voices of opposition out there that are getting the truth out because they can't win a debate. And so a Facebook whistleblower appears out of nowhere and accuses Facebook of not clamping down on conservative voices enough. And the next thing you know, Facebook clamps down harder. The next thing you know, Google and YouTube clamp down harder. The next thing you know, we have full-blown Nazi Germany-style censorship. So that's how it works. That's how it works. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to play a little bit of this clip from Brett Baer. Maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. But, um... You know, we've been focused, well, we, I say collectively, the media has, and of course, as the media goes, so do the American people. So they've got us focused on this Haitian immigration crisis, which is a crisis at the border. They are part of the problem uh, because, you know, over 14,000 entered our nation, in addition to the tens of thousands of others who have already entered this country illegally at the behest of this Biden regime looking to reinforce their base that they're losing because of the radicalism with new voters. So I want to play a few clips uh, from this Bear, Brett Bear uh, interview. Here we go.
1: Kind of the difference about what would happen if an illegal immigrant came when you were border patrol chief before January 20th, 2021, and what happened after with title 42 and that was a health and human services regulation for covid you've, you've got to carve that that part of it out if you will um, they would be met at the border immediately fingerprinted photographed for records checks quickly and then expelled back to the country they came through so during that time uh, the vast majority of people uh, were quickly expelled back to back to mexico or back to canada Um, or other countries even where where we had flights taking place to to quickly get them out of the country and then keep America safe.
2: Now to clarify there, Title 42, by the way, it's a clause of, it goes back to the 1944, a 1944 public health services law that uh, allows the government to prevent the introduction of individuals during certain public health emergencies. Um, that's a quote from Olga Byrne, who was the immigration director at the International Rescue Committee. So anyway, um, the Trump administration used Title 42 to issue this public health order during the COVID-19 pandemic to expel migrants at the border. All right. Of course, citing concerns over the spread of the virus. And so... That made sense, of course. This is part of the conversation we've been having amidst this debate with the Democratic Party who keeps pushing forward this narrative that COVID-19 is the most dangerous threat to mankind's survival since climate change. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so of course, you know, Title 42, you would think they would continue to utilize that given the fact that, you know, they're forcing vaccinations – Uh, across this country, and I'll play a few clips of brain-dead Joe Biden soon, in his conversation, teleprompter address that he could barely get through again. It's uh, Joe Biden versus the teleprompter, and uh, the teleprompter wins time and time again. But anyway, while they're forcing vaccines on the American citizens, they're allowing uh, people that are not tested for COVID-19, that are likely carriers of the virus, from foreign countries to just pour across the border. And so the point is, under the, the Trump administration, they used you know, every lever at their disposal to protect this country and to secure the border. And this administration, of course, we know is doing nothing to to defend and protect the border. In fact, they're doing everything they can to eliminate borders, to have our borders wide open for anyone to come in and demand asylum here. But I want to go on with this interview because he makes some other very important points. It's basically just think like football. Basically, they fake a play over here and the real play is going to the left. So when we
1: get distracted with 15 to 20,000 Haitians under a bridge, that resulted in several hundred miles of border having no border relations on it at all. That's where the cartels push the narcotics through, the criminal aliens, people that will not give up. We have over 400,000 documented gotaways, people or incidents where people crossed the border and got away this last year Uh, and hundreds of miles of border where we have no idea what took place. That's what mass migration creates.
2: So that's a great point. I mean, what he's saying is, you know, there are over 400,000 gotaways already this year. That's 400,000 illegals who've come into this country and gotten away. We don't know where they are, et cetera. And so the media focuses our attention on the Haitian crisis of 15,000. Meanwhile, there's hundreds of miles open, and the cartels are taking advantage of that because we're putting all of our resources in Del Rio, Texas, to focus on the media highlighted issue of Haitians. And while we're using, utilizing 100% of our resources in Border Patrol there, well, the rest of the border is left wide open. And so it's, uh, it's strategic. And the media is complicit. The Democratic Party is complicit. They know what's going on, and they're helping facilitate this. Meanwhile, the cartels are free to pour drugs, for example, into our border as well. We don't know who these people are. They're not even claiming asylum. They actually don't even want to meet Border Patrol agents. They're just trying to sneak across as quickly and easily as they can. And they're coming from all different countries, by the way. Over 100 different countries, they've apprehended individuals. So it's not even just Mexico. It's not even just South America and Guatemala. They're from all over the world pouring in here. They could be terrorists. They could be actually poor, just seeking refuge. They could be cartel members. Any number of things. But the point is, we don't know who they are. We don't vet them. We don't fingerprint them. We know nothing about these people. We're being invaded like we've never been before in our history, and this administration wants it to happen. But let's continue because he asks about Senator uh, about excuse me, uh, Mayorkas, uh, and his claims that the border is secure, which is an outright lie. And this gentleman, uh, well, he says as much.
1: So when you hear Secretary Mayorkas say the border is as secure now as it was before. What do you say? That's just not true. He knows what's going on, and he knows that border is not as secure today as it was on January 19th. Talk about the border wall. What were the the instructions after the transition of administrations when it came to the wall? So a presidential proclamation came out, and uh, it was a 60-day pause that uh, publicly available. Uh, We're supposed to do an in-depth study and then come up with a plan going forward. Uh, Border Patrol did its part, everything. Um, that was done within about two weeks Uh, several briefings later uh, there really hadn't not been any decisions made it went well beyond the 60 days Uh, many of those projects today are just still on hold so we're paying contractors uh, for a while, it was almost five million a day between DOD and DHS to, to not work. to not build the border wall. There's wait, 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 hun- five million a day to not build the wall. To not build a wall, even though they have all the stuff they have. There are stacks and stacks of border wall uh, panels. There's hundreds of miles of fiber optic cabling. Uh, there's hundreds of bo- of cameras that were being installed with that uh, that are
2: just sitting. The gentleman you're hearing there in that interview with uh, Brett Baer, by the way, uh, is a uh, former Biden Border Patrol chief. His name is Rodney Scott. Now, he retired in June after 30 years in Border Patrol. But he, he, he was actually not, he didn't just retire, he was forced out. He was forced out. And so he is saying everything that we've been saying all along. And this guy has seen it all. Witnessed it all, and there he is in that conversation admitting that this uh, this administration, despite having already paid for all of the resources, all these panels to actually be built to secure the border, well, they have been ordered not to go through with it. In fact, the Biden administration, this communist regime, this Marxist regime, is actually paying these companies, not to build a border wall. They don't want to secure the border. They want this illegal immigration. And they want it because they not only want to create chaos in this country, but they want to eventually, the objective, of course, is to make these people Democratic voters in the near future, to send them throughout this country, especially to red states, these people will not end up in California, New York, Vermont with Bernie Sanders. They won't end up in any of those places. They will immigrate and stay in Texas, and they'll go throughout this country to Florida, for example, and they'll become useful Democrat, new victim class, that votes Democrats so they can have freebies in perpetuity. These people won't become American citizens in the sense that they want to become American. They won't contribute to our society. They'll be on the take, on the welfare system, and they'll vote for Democrats so they continue to get, well, their paycheck every month from you and me. That's what it boils down to. We've seen this in the reconciliation bill. Twice they've tried to put through a pathway to citizenship, and this is the long-term objective. But in addition to that, absolute... Uh, depravity, that depraved intention. We are not safe. We don't know who these people are. The drug cartels are taking advantage of this. They're pushing their drugs into this country. that are going to find their way into your child's school that are going to be responsible for the death of your child because they're illicit illegal drugs flowing freely throughout this country. Thank you, courtesy of the Democratic Party. And when we get back We got one more real whistleblower to discuss. She came to Project Veritas, and she asserts the corruption of Pfizer and these pharmaceutical companies pushing the vaccines down your throats in perpetuity. You can't get more corrupt than this, folks. Stay with me, and we'll be right back. Well, we've now had admissions. Well not publicly, but uh through Project Veritas's I mean this guy and Project Veritas, James O'Keefe the third, he's a national treasure. And so we know that these um pharmaceutical companies producing these vaccines against COVID have admitted that antibodies are far superior to the vaccines that they're producing, but they don't want that information out there because they well, they they've made more money in this last year or so than they've made in the entire history of their companies. So it's corruption and collusion with the Democratic Party. The Democrat Party in collusion with pharmaceutical companies, corporations, Wall Street. It's amazing to behold how the narrative has switched. For all of eternity it seems, at least in my 34 years on earth. The Democrat Party is for the people. They oppose corporations. They attack corporations. They attack Wall Street. And yet we know that Goldman Sachs and all these people are in the pockets, funding the Democratic Party and putting their people in these administrations. But now we have, of course, Pfizer. Uh, You know, it makes me think of all the interviews I've been doing with the firefighters, and I'll have one more to release uh, shortly, uh, in the next few days. But You know, they are being forced to be vaccinated in L.A. City, for example, as firefighters. And a religious exemption is essentially off the table for them. Um, But this actually, well, it, it helps their lawsuit going forward because they should have a religious exemption for this. Because it turns out that Pfizer used aborted fetal cells to make the vaccine. Aborted fetal cells. Obviously, there's a large portion of this country who is opposed to the usage of aborted fetal parts, tissue, and cells to make medicine that they're going to be forced to inject into their bodies. But here we are. But here is... uh, Well, the real crime, of course, is that Pfizer tried to suppress that, which tells you that they understand that it's damning against the vaccine. And uh, it gives a great portion of this population ammunition to oppose it further so they tried to suppress this but of course a real whistleblower unlike the fake uh whistleblower from facebook who was organized and put out there to suppress freedom of speech well this whistleblower came to james o'keefe at project veritas well and she uh let the cat out of the bag so to speak here's what she had to say
0: uh, human embryo kidney cells, and okay. it was from experiment two hundred and ninety three
2: they 've used cells from aborted fetuses yes, and hex they don't cells. want the public to know that yes that's staggering for society because of what you said religious exemptions
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they're denying our religious exemptions at Pfizer This is serious stuff you're, you're, you're dealing with these are these are powerful people
2: and a very powerful company
0: they 're withholding knowledge on people 's approval if they can consent or not.
2: From Sarah Elizabeth Weiser, the principal scientist.
0: Uh, She's just making sure, you know, uh, just be clear. You would like medical information to reply with the text in red below, including the highlighted section. Thanks again. And then they responded Responded with. Responded with. No, I would prefer that we do not use the text in yellow. (laughs) Um, They're being so deceptive in their emails. It's almost like it is in the final vaccine. It just made me not So these
2: internal memos, emails that are being sent uh, amongst the Pfizer employees are telling them to eliminate from any kind of uh, uh, public admissions or conversations that uh, there there was aborted fetal cells used to make this vaccine. And so they are withholding this information from from the public intentionally because, of course, this would give credence to religious exemptions. And religious exemptions, uh, they've tried to, well, pull the rug out from under those individuals, saying that you can't make and use a religious exemption if you're a government employee or a corporate employee or whatever it is uh, to refuse to get the vaccine. And so they're working, of course, in tandem with this Biden administration to ensure that there is no ammunition uh, to go through the court process or whatever it is to refuse vaccination. So Pfizer is corrupt. Uh, this administration is corrupt. The vaccine is corrupt. Uh, all of it is corrupt. What we are witnessing is an era of corruption. And so these firefighters, now uh, God bless them in L.A. City, this will be useful ammunition for them suing L.A. City, hopefully into oblivion. And um, you know, usually I cut this thing off around fifty-eight minutes, but if you're if you got a few minutes, I think we're doing well here tonight. Today, I should say, actually. Um, or tonight, if you're listening. Tonight. I want to play for humor. To end on a fun note. Some of Joe Biden's laughable uh, uh, sparring with his teleprompter. Uh, I'm going to take one more short break. When we get back, we'll end with... Uh, Joe Biden, 81 million votes, everyone. 81 million votes uh, for this brilliant, brilliant man, the greatest president in the history of the United States of America. This is Drew Allen. we will be right back. We well, that- still had more than
3: a quarter of the people in the United States who were eligible for vaccinations, but didn't get the shot. And we know there is no other way to beat the pandemic than to get the vast majority of Americans vaccinated. It's as simple as that. And, to, and to, to spread to our children, to spread throughout society in our hospitals, or the risk of other variants, it's all dangerous and obvious, but we're still not there. We have to beat this thing. So while I didn't race uh, to do it right away, that's why I've had to move toward requirements. No, he Everyone said he'd never do it. Where I had the authority to do that. That wasn't my first instinct. You're a liar. My administration is now requiring federal workers to be vaccinated. We've also required federal contractors to be vaccinated if you have a contract with the federal government working for That's federal right, government, government coercion, folks, tyranny. We're requiring active duty military to be Ooh, vaccinated.
2: wow, big tough We're guy. We are making
3: sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care Ooh. At a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the pro- people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you.
2: Has Has he talked to uh, the CDC director Rochelle Walensky? Has he? Has he? Was he taking a nap? Uh, was Was he? Was he busy uh, drooling from his his mouth? Was Was Jill Biden not finished serving him uh, his soup with a spoon? Uh, Did he miss the fact that Rochelle Walensky, CDC director, said that those who actually have the vaccine can both contract and transmit COVID? So you actually have no security whether you're vaccinated or not. Because if you are vaccinated, you can transmit COVID. So if you go into a hospital and a vaccinated nurse is helping you and she has COVID, despite having the vaccination, she can still or he can still transmit COVID to you. So all this is a bunch of BS. This guy, this guy, does he sound strong? Um, I, I hesitated to do this, um, b- before, but then I was, I was forced to because the people weren't listening and I, I tried to tell them, but now I have to force it down their throats. And now contractors and nurses and military, look at me. I'm forcing everyone to get a vaccine that transmits COVID. What a brilliant piece of work he is. So, uh, this is, uh, the president of the United States, most popular, uh, president in American history folks with an approval rating that, uh, well, it's lower than we've ever seen in human history where every let's go brandon let's go brandon you know i'm talking about right you know uh at that 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 uh i don't know if it was nascar or whatever it was but that race car event extravaganza where the crowd erupts and says f joe biden of course they don't say f they say the f you know you know uh can i say it in italian on air va funk anyway i speak italian so you, you get the message though so they're saying f joe biden and the uh uh, uh, the commentator, of course, says, oh, they're shouting for you, Brandon. They're saying, let's go, Brandon. So all around this country, everyone is saying F Joe Biden everywhere he goes, and he deserves every ounce of it. Um, absolutely. But anyway, let's play one more clip from Joe Biden to close out because this is too much fun. You know, I know things are, are dire. I know, but we got to laugh. We got to live our lives. And this guy's an embarrassment, not just to America, but to mankind. This is one of the dumbest most ignorant most embarrassing human beings in the history of the world with uh he does not he has half a brain cell and he's missing uh, another half to rub together but let's play one more clip
3: you know if I can digress for just a second last night I was on the television uh, on television I was on the telephone
2: la <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I was on the television, on television. I was on, I was on the, no, the the, the, the telephone, a telephone, not a television, the telephone. This guy's a piece of work. He's uh, losing the battle with a teleprompter. Teleprompter one, Joe Biden zero. But one more, please bear with me. This is too much fun. We have to do this together. Now, now this one uh, from the same speech the other day is my favorite. Here is Joe Biden now
3: we're headed in the right direction if we don't we keep our eye on the ball here we still have a long way to go
2: yeah long way to go the
3: fact is, this has been a pandemic of the unvaccinated
2: no it's been a pandemic the of the obese
3: the unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals oh overrunning emergency and intensive care units Ah. the unvaccinated patients are are leaving no room for someone with a heart attack or in need of a cancer No, operation. that's not true. so much more because they can't get into the ICU, they can't get... No, the no, but you're refusing treatment to these the people. ...we put our economy at risk. We put
2: the economy so, at risk.
3: people are reluctant to go out and think about this. Even in places where there is no restriction on going to restaurants and gyms and movie theaters, people are not going. And anywhere near the numbers because they're worried they're going to get sick...
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, people might be worried they're getting sick because this administration and the corrupt media are telling everyone that they're going to die from COVID if they walk in a, a, uh, I don't know, in in Yosemite National Park alone because the trees are going to infect them with COVID. That's why people aren't going out. Uh, People also, by the way, aren't going out because they're not vaccinated. And in places like New York and many cities throughout California, they're not welcome there. They're not allowed in. They're not permitted entry because Joe Biden always been a racist. Now, well, he hates black people again. You know, we know that black people in this country are amongst the most unvaccinated. And they're being told in places like New York City, That they can't enter restaurants again. So we've come full circle. The Democratic Party, who once uh, uh, celebrated segregation, discrimination, racism, and were the plantation owners of old, who believed that they knew better for black people how they should live their lives, and, and that the plantation owner could dictate how the black person could stay alive and take care of themselves better than the individual themselves. Well, here we are again, with Joe Biden supporting discrimination. But that's the real reason for it. But, you know, if you are vaccinated and you're afraid to go out and you're afraid of being infected from an unvaccinated person, well, you're welcome to stay at home. That's freedom. That's your choice. Nobody opposes that. If you want to lock yourself away, if you want to never go to work again because you've been vaccinated and you're afraid of getting COVID, well, that's on you. I would recommend seeing a, a therapist personally from, from my perspective. Uh, but even that won't probably save those individuals who are wearing masks and wearing gloves in their cars alone with a vaccine and a booster shot. But anyway, there is the president of the United States saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, Despite the fact, of course, that CDC director Rochelle Walensky, another communist, uh, has said that those who get the vaccine can transmit the disease. And we know that 78% of those hospitalizations were amongst the obese. So really, this is actually a pandemic of the obese. Uh, So the real message is, if you're overweight... Uh, And I don't mean this with any insults. I'm just stating the facts. If you are obese and you're afraid of COVID, the best thing you can do for yourself is eat healthier and start exercising because that's what this is. But there is Joe Biden, folks. 81 million votes, a brilliant man, uh, spreading uh, unity and love throughout this country as promised a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So government coercion. Get the vaccine or lose your rights. That's where we are. But anyway, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure being with you. We have gone over the typical uh, 58, 59-minute mark that I strive for, but I was having too much fun with you, my family, tonight. Uh, but I hope you'll tune in soon. I'm going to play uh, the third uh, episode in the segment interviewing a L.A. F- well, not in L.A., I'm sorry. I did the L.A. City firefighters, and now I've got a Napa County firefighter up in Napa County where I live that I interviewed, talking about his situation with the vaccine mandates uh, coming down on him here. Uh, God bless you all, and uh, until next time.